Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How are you? Good. Good to see you all. Good to be with you. Got a fun day, busy day, a lot of cool stuff happening. So um, start off with prayer and praising God. So if you want, you can stand and we'll, we'll get going. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. I just uh, pray that you work in us today. Help us grow. Um, just pray for the word, uh, your message as we hear it. Um, just uh, humble us in this time together. And bring us closer to you, closer to each other. Um, so we just pray for this day, for everything happening in here, in the youth wing, in the groups that meet. And uh, this afternoon for the fun event we got planned, I just pray that it's a great day for you and your kingdom, uh, for your people. So we praise you for the sunshine and the uh, good weather we're going to have. And uh, just uh, just let us focus on you at this time, God. Creatures of a God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh, praise Him. Hallelujah, 
What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Kids are dismissed. Well, how's everybody doing? Good to see you all. Hope everybody's just enjoying this um, uh, rounding the corner towards uh, towards uh, the school season and um, the, the conclusion of summer, which goes into, I think, uh, spectacular fall vistas. Uh, and all of creation uh, expresses uh, the praises of God, and we're here to do that today as well. Uh, so as we gather, uh, just a few things. Um, I want to uh, kind of scroll through some of the announcements that we have because we've got a lot of things that are happening here at First Christian that um, we want uh, uh, you to be aware of if you're not and be engaged with if you can. Uh, one of the uh, things that's happening today, if you're not aware, is our back-to-school bash, and that's from 4 to 7 here. And one of, the, one of the visions that we've had is to have our, our kids, of course, uh, located in the kids' wing as far as all of their activities and things like that go. But the, but the sense of, do you, have you ever seen a Russian nesting doll? Do you know what that is? You know, one inside of another, inside of another, inside of another. Well, it's kind of that way in, in, in terms of our vision for the kids. How can the kids be inside a, a family here? And so whenever we do a back-to-school bash or anything related to the kids, uh, sometimes we're going to, often we're going to invite people to be a part of that just so that across generations we can connect uh, with our kids and they can know who we are and uh, we can get a sense of being a church family. So if you want to come out tonight, feel free. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you got a lot of energy or a lot of just pent-up frustration or anything, I'm going to be in the dump. 
tank from four to five. Uh, so if that doesn't incentivize you, I don't know what will. Uh, but the target's only that big from what I've heard. Uh, so good luck. Um, so we, we have that going on, and uh, if not, nothing else, be praying about it because our kids are going back to school. It's a challenging year for them, challenging year for teachers and, um, and, and administrators. So we need to keep that all lifted up and do the best that we can to bring Christ into the center of it. Okay, so a uh, couple others. Uh, one one uh, that um, maybe some of you have been a part of, and that's Amy's onboarding of people in the, the ministry that she's creating down there. Um, and the people that are engaged as volunteers, um, she wants to equip you. So I don't know if you can read the fine print, but it says it's a mandatory meeting. If you sign up to be a volunteer, please come because that's how you get into uh, the, that, that, that place of, of alignment with, um, with the vision that she's trying to cast. And so if you can uh, just block that time off, uh, that's coming up tomorrow. Um, so, um, also wanted to mention that um, our women uh, on the 31st are uh, going to be gathering on a Wednesday for a women's night out, and uh, Rachel, of course, um, has been instrumental in helping to spearhead that. Uh, so, if you can join us, ladies, uh, please, uh, please come out. And um, I also uh, wanted to uh, just uh, showcase something here for a second. I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but First Christian Church has a softball team. Um, now, I know with COVID, it kind of all went dormant, but we've had a lot of people who have been a part of this team over the years, and um, they had a pretty interesting season, and I know that they want to celebrate that a little bit with the church, uh, so I don't know if Kevin Bryan is handy or Chuck or uh, uh, Matt Mowry. Um, you know, if you're a part of this team, uh, come on up, uh, it, it, you know, if you're, if you're here. And uh, you guys, um, from what I gathered, it was a pretty interesting season, to say the least. And um, you didn't plan on the accomplishment that had happened. Uh, you guys have got um, a, a, a gathering of both Christians and people that you're hoping to get more engaged with church. And that's part of the ministry of, of our softball team. Uh, and God uh, worked uh, through these uh, I'll just say it, heavy hitters. Um, so uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted Kevin to just share, or anybody, however you structured this, a uh, few thoughts, or, or whichever one of you guys um, is the most, you're all pretty vocal, so uh, 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 can summarize what's happening here. Um, but these guys, um, what happened at the end of the season was just Phenomenal. So, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, see, uh, Denny Niederheiser up here. I mean, you played back in the day, what, 80s? <laughs> 70s? 1880s, yeah, the 1800s. Uh, but obviously, you can still climb the steps up to yeah, the balcony, you get up there so still. that's good. Um, but no, the softball team's been around in the church for a long time. I, I remember when Jared and I were in high school, uh, like the early 2000s, we'd play, and Chuck's always been a longtime member, and Kevin's played off and on throughout the years, and, um, you know, it's just kind of continue that, you know, tradition. The last time we won one of these was actually in 2008. I wasn't a part of the team. I know Jared was and Chuck was. Leonard was. I was, but I, the, ty was, the Tylenol that I kept having to take, they, they, they ran out of supplies, exactly, so I, yeah, exactly, I had to quit. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of cool just to, you know, carry it on, and, and we've seen guys come and go over the years and come back, and... Um, it, it's just a great group of guys, and, and like we said, it's just kind of an outreach for 
a lot of good men, um, just to have good fellowship for, you know, we play about once a week for two hours or whatever, and, we, you know, we also meet a lot of different guys from other churches, like the bonds we have with some guys from uh, other churches is, is pretty cool, and we just develop friendships and relationships, so uh, it was pretty crazy, though, this year, because um, our team was okay, we had trouble getting guys a lot, you know, we're getting busy, we have kids, and uh, other uh, things going on, and so we finally got everyone together for the tournament, and we uh, lost our, what was it, the second game we lost, yeah, second tournament game we lost, we're in the loser's bracket, so in order for us to win the whole thing, we're going to have to win five games in a row, and we, were, we had some stiff competition, too, some of the other churches are pretty good, and all of a sudden we just kept chipping away at it, chipping away at it, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my, we might have a chance at this, and uh <laughs> So, that, so it was a championship game. We find ourselves in the championship game with a lot of momentum and back and forth game. But we're down uh, four with two outs in the last inning. It was the top of the seventh. We're down four with two outs. And we somehow put it together. We hit a three-run double and then a three-run homer. And we're up two all of a sudden. The seventh inning with two outs it was unbelievable. It was all, of, all of us came together. It was just a great moment. And then we closed it in the bottom of the seventh. And... Uh, this guy here was dealing like he was Cy Young back in the day. So, uh, luckily too, because one of the balls came right back at him and caught him in the face there, and he it was good. So it was just a great moment for our guys just to kind of celebrate and just enjoy one another. And again, we've been close the last few years, and it's one of those things where we've just never been able to put it all together. So um, it's just it's just a great time for fellowship, and again, just reaching out for guys and and just coming together. And again, we pray before the games. We do a devotion in between games. Uh, the cool thing is the last few years, we've had other guys on our team that have kind of stepped forward and given devotions that I never really would have expected. Um, so you can kind of see the growth that they have in Christ. And um, it's just cool. And the, the worst part, not, not the worst part, but I always think about not even playing this year just because, you know, with kids and other things I got going on in my life. And But I'm like, ah, we got to keep going. And we got to keep going. And, and, again, it's for the rest of the guys as well and just the whole league. So. Um, it's just a great ministry just in our whole community. Special thanks to Shane Franks, too. Uh, Shane, obviously, with the parks, uh, does a great job working with the league and having the fields ready and just being very cooperative in that manner. So uh, just very special. So we appreciate uh, you guys I mean, being able to come up here and share it with us. And I know Chuck and Kevin, and we decided we got a gift for Leonard here to maybe take and uh, as a keepsake to uh, a championship uh, here for first Christian championship. So, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there it is. It's actually not for me, it's for First Christian, but, you know, if it ends up at my house, I'm playing with it, you know, that's another thing. But, yeah, uh, congratulations, guys. This has been, uh, uh, if, uh, if you talk to these guys one-on-one about the story of what happened, it was a real nail-biter, like, every step of the way, it was like, yeah, okay, this is, this is where we're going to probably, you know, uh, conclude our, our season, and um, you could write a movie based on what, what Kevin shared. It was pretty crazy. Uh, so it shouldn't have happened, and it happened, and you guys, you know, stayed vigilant and hopeful, and good things happen when you, when you are. So congratulations, guys, um, and thanks for, uh, thanks for keeping that ministry going, okay? All right. So if you feel like you want to be um, a softball star with a winning team, um, the, no pressure, guys. Uh, there you go. Um, but all, all kidding aside, um, it's just uh, one way that we engage in fellowship, and uh, it's so cool that we can do that uh, in this way. And we've got uh, a community. There are people that 
come from different churches that gather together. And uh, one of the interesting things was the Greenford Church, uh, one of their members who was on the team had passed away suddenly from COVID. And so the whole, the whole year, uh, they were just uh, bringing, you know, uh, the jersey with them uh, to each of the games. And there was just sort of a camaraderie here where what we're doing is larger than just playing a game. Uh, it really is, uh, we are on a team together collectively doing kingdom work. And so uh, there are a lot of ways that different churches are expressing the reality of the kingdom in their lives. And we're trying to ask God, how is it, Lord, that you want us to be a kingdom presence in the community? And um, it isn't just softball. It's anything that God puts in front of us that says there's a need here or there's an opportunity here. Let's move into it. Uh, so that's something we've been praying about, and I think God's been answering that prayer. Uh, but if um, uh, I, I have one more announcement real quickly, um, because I've had a lot of interest in this study that I'm doing on the Giants. Uh, so um, we're going to be meeting on September 6th uh, in 201 on Tuesdays from uh, 1030 to 12. But I also, if there are other people interested in doing it on a Sunday, uh, I'm willing to put together another, another gathering um, after worship. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, I'm just getting a feel to see if there is a sense of uh, need here. And if there is, uh, w join us on, on September 11th, and we'll launch one on, on Sundays as well. Uh, so see me or put on your Connect card, I'm interested, or call the office, and uh, we'll direct you accordingly. So all that said, um, we got a big day today, uh, starting with uh, moving into the message and then, of course, what's happening this afternoon, which I'm so excited about. Um, but uh, uh, if, if you would, um, let's, uh, let's, let's open up with, uh, with, with prayer. Um, and if you have any prayer needs or concerns, you can scan a, um, uh, what do they call those codes? QR codes. I keep thinking UPC code, but, um, you know. That's me living in the 70s. So, um, or you can uh, put on your Connect card, or again, let us know, call the office. We're more than happy and want to pray for you. Uh, so would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, as we gather before your throne, we, we know that it is your grace that pulls us in a way that is magnetic, in a way that draws us into the reality that you have designed us for to begin with. And that is, Lord, we know we were made for you, and you were, by design, um, instrumental not only in creating us, but calling us into fellowship with yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with each other. And we also know, Lord, the breakdown that has happened where each of those relational connections have been broken. And Father, I know you've called us into this room because you want to restore that. You want to heal what is not right or what needs to be put right. You want to make us whole again. And we bring a lot of things into this room, Father, from the traumas of life to the challenges to the things that um, uh, keep us up at night. And we pray that in each of them, you would just do that good work of ministry in our hearts and our lives, in our relationships, that the healing that we first heard about when your son came into the world and proclaimed uh, that he had that and so much more to offer 
Uh, Lord, we come to receive that in our spirits and our bodies and our souls. And we come to, to find out, Lord, what the next step is, what our purpose is for life here on earth, because we know it doesn't last very long. And we ask that you give us the wisdom to see the road ahead and to be in tune with what you have for us and you have us to do and the things that you see where there is a disconnect between our lives and the work you're doing and the people who are searching for you. And so help us to be a church on task, on mission. We pray, Father, as we move into the fall season that your blessing would be upon all of our kids the challenges that they face, that uh, you would be with Amy and all of the volunteers who are playing an instrumental role in making relationships with the kids and allowing those pathways to create influence and impact and to help them to discover what it looks like to follow you. I pray, Father, for uh, our teachers this year as they go back into the classrooms and as they look at all of the things that are in front of them and the kids one by one and the needs that they have and the desire that they feel called to fulfill, uh, to see them equipped uh, for you, Lord. And I pray that you'd bless them, bless our schools, bless our administrators, everyone that is a part of that process and those environments. I'm thankful, Father, that you have given us so many riches and they ripple out into the, the, the community around us. And there are teachers that follow you and administrators and people that work in the backgrounds that keep all of the infrastructure going. And I just pray, Father, your spirit would move in a powerful way to be um, places where kids can see you through a public institution. I ask, Father, that you bless us today as we meet around your word, that you would speak to our hearts and we know that your word has a way of speaking to us individually. And I ask, Father, that the words that you've given me to share would be ones that are in tune with your purposes for our people today. And we pray that you would just bless this time together. And, Father, we just want to lift up our hearts in a spirit of surrender as we pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, well, um, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, would you mind meeting me uh, in the book of Luke? Uh, we're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. And as we do that, um, I wanted to explore a little bit with you uh, where Jesus is at in this whole telling of the story that uh, Luke has uh, drawn us into, and I, I know that we've been doing this for quite some time, and I hope that as we're pulled into this story, we're starting to see Jesus with greater clarity, that his way of being God in our world as one of us is, is, is in increasing in its significance in how that impacts your life apart from these four walls. And as Jesus is going through this ministry, he knows that the stories that will be told about his life here on earth will continue on, not just for decades or centuries, but for millennia. 
even to the point of knowing that there will come a day when churches like First Christian Church will gather and they will ask the question, who is Jesus and what does he expect of us? What does he want us to do? And what maybe some of you are asking, what right does he have to do it? Others may be asking, what is it in my life right now that I need to hear from him? And I think all of us have questions about his presence in not only the story of the Bible, but in our world, in our lives. And I think it's because of the weight of authority that Jesus seems to have that just is perennial. I mean, just let me ask you a question. Do you know of a teaching, a religion, something other than Judaism that has stood the test of time, the onslaught of persecution, the ability to stand in the face of governments that would try to destroy it? And yet, long after those things that have posed the kingdom are gone, still here, there's nothing like it. Our faith is so robust because it is not centered in a religion or teachings or just a, a, a series of habits, but it is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's some of us who have tuned into that in a way where we start to ask the question, because you are Lord, what difference should that make in my life? And, you know, for a lot of us, it may be um, that he doesn't make a whole lot of difference other than I just want to respect the fact that he is, he's out there and he's kind of watching over, but I don't want to get too close. I mean, if I were to just think about that analogy for a little bit, maybe it's, um, you know, me and my car and police officers. Glad they're there. Glad I'm always going the speed limit. And uh, I don't really want to have a conversation with them. So I thought it was kind of funny on Friday, I was down in the basement working on our basement, doing my honeydew list. My wife is the project manager and the visionary, and I'm the make it happener. I don't know if any of you guys know that role, but I'm down there making it happen. <clears throat> Stephen comes down and he says, Dad, there's a police officer at our house. And of course, that raises an alarm bell, and immediately I'm like, what, was I speeding? No, couldn't have been. So it uh, must have been Stephen here to see Stephen, but he's got a CDL, so he's not speeding that much anymore. Probably Mandy. I didn't say this. You didn't hear this from me, but just sometime ask a family member, who has the most speeding tickets in your family? Well, I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight, but let's move on. The police officer, um, I'm like, why do we have a police officer at our house? And I go upstairs, and there he is right there in our kitchen. Got his little notepad. And I'm thinking, I know I've been in the basement a long time, but um, I'm not sure what's happening. But there is this sense of there is an authority figure in our house who has the authority to haul us all off. He has the authority to write us a citation. He has the authority to take criminals and put them in jail. He has all of this authority. And so I asked the question, uh, officer, can you explain to me why you're here? And he said, yeah, there was a 911 call from your house. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah, somebody on their iPhone hit the button and we showed up. 
not guns blazing, but the, but the lights were definitely on. So I'm sure the neighbors are thinking, we don't know what's going on there, but it's got to be scandalous. But the interesting thing was, there's only three people in our house right now, and none of us signaled 911 that I'm aware of. And so somehow, some way, technology being as wonderful as it is, we had an authority figure show up at our house, and quite honestly, it made me a little nervous. Now, I'm here today, so obviously there wasn't anything that said, hey, Leonard, your ministry is going to pivot into uh, that place where you'll be living for 40 years. Nothing like that. It was just simply false alarm. But what was interesting is how the presence of that authority figure conjures up a response where everything else around you is put on the back burner and you are in tune with the question of the moment or the purpose behind their call or the reason why they're showing up at your house with the lights on. And I think when Jesus shows up into our world, there is something that happens that captures our attention. We can't help it. And when you gather in a room like this, did you know that Jesus in his invisible form, is here with us. And we know that through the scripture, it promises that the Holy Spirit will be the invisible form of Jesus in the lives of his people. And if we are here in his name, then we are here under his authority. And I don't know if you've captured the weight of that, but there's a significance behind being attached to the authority of Jesus. And I don't know if you fully realize just how much that can change your life. But along the way to meeting him, there are questions in our own art, in our own mind. Am I guilty? What did I do? Is he upset? Questions that you might ask a police officer. But Jesus, when he comes into our world, has an agenda that isn't out to find a gotcha moment as much as it is to recognize everybody on the planet should be hitting the 911 button because without him, it is a state of emergency. And this leads us into our story. So if, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 20, verses um, 1 through 8, uh, beginning with these few verses. So as you remember, Jesus has already cleansed the temple. He's already come in through the triumphal entry on the donkey, and now he's spending time at the temple, and he's teaching. And Luke tells us, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the good news, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us, tell us, Jesus, what authority you have to do these things. And they're referring back to the fact that they're a little upset because money changers, and that's a whole other rabbit hole, were disrupted in the transactions they were making on the temple complex. They were upset because Jesus has been saying the whole time things that are casting them in a negative light. 
they were upset because he's created such a disruption that people are tuning out from them and tuning in to him. Luke even records prior to this that it says that they got together and they were asking the question, how can we kill him? So Jesus knows he's in hostile territory, that the welcome mat wasn't laid out for him, and that he's going to create quite a bit of upset. With of all people, the people who have the most authority, the people that you never really want to talk to if you're a common citizen because of the fear that they're going to tell me what's not right in my life. And that's essentially their whole job. That's actually how they stay empowered, is they tell you how you're not doing right. And then they control how it is that you can. And Jesus sees this whole thing, and he says, this is sideways from God's purpose. Now, there is a place and a time to have conversations with people about things that they need to work on. But for them, that was their whole industry. So Jesus comes in, and he's upsetting that. So they just get right to the point. Who, author, who authorized you to do this? Let's just settle this right now. Now, what makes this an interesting question is how authority worked in their world. Now, in our world, we think of authority. We think of um, uh, maybe think of the police officer who shows up at your house. Maybe you grew up in the, in the 80s like I did, and you think of John Mellencamp singing, I fought authority, and authority always wins. Um, but whatever your connection is to that word, um, these guys, they knew that if there was any authority apart from the power of the Roman government, it was vested in them. And how did they get it? And this is a backstory to this whole thing. Because if I was a, a, a mother of a young Jewish boy, my hope and my dream would be that he would not only make the professional leagues, but he would make the all-star team. And not only that, that there would one day his name would be written in the Hall of Fame. But they didn't have NBA basketball. They didn't have NFL football. They had, well, they had rabbis. And I don't know if you ever heard the Weird Al song, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. Don't look it up right now on your phone. Wait till after church. But it's a way of saying rabbis are the coolest. And everybody wanted to be a rabbi. So starting out young, parents looked at their little bundle of joy and they said, well, he's the smartest and he's the most capable, you know, stuff you said to your own kids. And yet as that kid develops through grade school and then through middle school, there's a weeding out process where people start to say, well, you're not really well, you need to probably get a job tending sheep or you need to get a job working in the trades. But if you make it through high school, then rabbis start to pay attention and they start to kind of throw at you sort of softballs, so to speak, and saying, hey, you know what, can you tell us about this about Scripture? Can you tell us this about interpreting the law? And if these kids were astute enough, they got it. If they got really good, they could be taken on as a disciple. And as a disciple, if they got really good, they could be schooled to be a rabbi. And if they were a rabbi and they got really good, they could be given authority as a rabbi. Meaning that there would be an ordination service where hands would be laid on you with gloating, prideful parents in the background just beaming 
that were hands that were laid on individuals succeeding all the way back to Joshua when they entered the promised land. That was the tradition. And only about 35 to 60 people in Jesus' day had that kind of ordination, that kind of authority to be able to interpret the scripture, to be able to kind of make decrees, to be able to look at your life and say, you know what, we don't have in the Torah stuff about how you make your coffee because they didn't have coffee makers back then. But this is what you need to do. And so they would just give you instruction on the minutia of your daily life. That's how much authority rabbis had. People didn't make a move without consulting the rabbis. They really were fearful that they would step out of line with the things of God. Um, Rabbi says, hey, don't go to R-rated movies. We don't go to R-rated movies. Rabbi says, don't eat stuff that's not kosher. We don't eat stuff that's not kosher. And it just continues down the line of activity. So you get the point. And the only way that you could receive that ordination was to have three witnesses, and it had to be within that succession, and by people that already had been ordained themselves. So you see how complicated this is? And yet Jesus is going in and undercutting that whole process. And he's teaching. He's weighing in. He's telling people how to live their everyday lives. And they're just shaking their heads saying, who, who ordained you? Show us your ordination certificate. Because our suspicion is, you're an imposter. Because if there's only 35 to 60 people who not only went to the NBA, who not only went to the all-star team, but are listed in the hall of fame, everybody knows who they are. And Jesus, we don't know who you are. We know who you are, but we don't know where your authority came from. So that's the tension that Jesus has created here. But what's so interesting about this is that when Jesus shows up in our world, he has a way of knowing us and knowing the situation so well that he, it's like a chess game. You just can't outsmart him. And so when somebody comes up to Jesus and they start getting confrontational, did you know every time recorded in Scripture that that happens, he always turns it back on them. He'll ask them a question. Because he knows their concern is not to hear his voice. Their concern is to either disarm him, get rid of him, or ignore him. But I wonder sometimes if we look at these two parties of people, and we're not asking the question, who is more like this person that you're reading about? Am I more like Jesus, or am I more like the Pharisees, because the reality is, or the Sadducees and the scribes and the chief priests, rather, the reality is when Jesus walks into our lives, it changes things. The temperature of the room changes, and maybe we start to get defensive. Maybe we say, I only want so much of you, Jesus, but don't go too far here. And yet when Jesus comes into our world, and he shows us who he is. He says, I heard, even though you didn't send it, I heard the 911 go off. 
So maybe I'm seeing something here that you can't even see. And so here's what he sees with these guys. Let's read, let's, let's, let's look at the next verses. It says, he answered them, I'll ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it, and they looked at one another, and they said, well, you know what? If we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? And then, if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So the answer that they didn't know where it came from. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's asking them a question. And the question is, on what basis do you have authority? Because I've set up a, a, a scenario, and because you have authority, you should be able to answer it without even batting an eye. But it would appear you're more concerned about what the people will think than what God wants you to do. Now, one of the issues that we all have living in this world is we're around people all the time. And one of the challenges that we have as we're around people is, do we take Jesus into each and every situation, or do we allow the people to kind of influence us in such a degree that we're kind of going to do what they're doing for a while, and then we'll go back to Jesus. And so he's drawing something out, not just for them as well, but for you and I. Did you hear me? I don't know if you heard me mention it or not, but at the beginning of the message, let's assume everybody on the planet has an iPhone. And everybody's iPhone is tagged to their identity. And that iPhone is constantly and chronically giving out a 911 signal saying, help me. And most people don't even know. And so when Jesus is looking at us, he's saying, you're trying to find places to go in life where you are hearing different voices of authority on how you do different things in life. And the question that he's laying out for us is, how often do we consult Jesus when we make any decision about anything? And you may say, well, that's pretty radical, Pastor. Well, what Jesus is doing, if you consider going into the temple, tearing it up, not radical, then I don't know what is. But what Jesus has to do in this rescue attempt is he has to really stir it up with us. And there are some of us who are in perennial conflict all the time because we haven't saddled things with him. So I want to ask some questions about what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So here's the question, and I think every believer needs to settle this. Where did Jesus get his authority? Now, Jesus honored his tradition as long as it reflected God's intention, he deviated from it whenever it was rewritten in a way that didn't. 
And so here is the question that they had and the question that I think you need to settle as well. And that is, where did Jesus get his authority? And if you remember back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was taken to the desert and John the Baptist baptized him. Do you remember that story? And as John the Baptist is baptizing him, John's saying, you know what, I'm not worthy to do this, but Jesus said, I've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And whenever he was baptized, there were three witnesses there. There was John, there was the Father, and there was the Holy Spirit. And if you recall, the Holy Spirit came down on him, thus empowering him with the authority of God to do the ministry of God. And so the opportunity that Jesus went through to be ordained wasn't from the succession of Joshua, but it was from God himself. Now, this is important um, because you and I sometimes feel pretty powerless in life. We feel like there are forces outside of us that are greater than the forces, you know, that we're capable of conjuring up. But the secret of the kingdom is when you are in Christ, the forces that are at work in the world are no longer greater than you. They may affect you, they may impact you, but they can't overcome you. And just tuck that away for a second, because here's another question. And that is, you know, whenever he had it, what kind of authority was it? And, you know, Mandy said to me, the, so, the police officer asked for our social security number. Is, is he supposed to be asking for our social security number? Thank goodness we don't have much interacting with police officers, so I couldn't say, well, you know, the, all the times I've been confronted by, no. Um, I said, I don't know. I mean, he could have been an imposter coming in a fabricated police car with a fabricated getup, and he could be just, you know, farming Social Security numbers that we may have just unwittingly gave it to him. And I'm starting to wonder, did, what was he real? And then... Um, I said, you know what, the uh, Constitution says that we don't have to say anything to police officers. Well, I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole um, because, you know, why make it difficult? And she's like, well, I did what I thought I should do because he was an authority person. And I said, yeah, you know what, we did it to kind of keep the peace. Uh, but then I'm like getting on, on Google, do police officers ask for social security numbers? <laughs> Turns out they do. So I'm like, okay, obviously he has some authority, but in, in reality his authority is based on his serving the Constitution. He, is, he, he, he upholds it. And Jesus has something that is kind of his own Constitution, and he says it right out of the gate. His very first sermon, he says these words. just opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he says these words. He says, um, um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, which we know He's been ordained now uh, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news. I'm ordained as a minister of the gospel here to do exactly that, to, per, to proclaim uh, to the poor. Uh, uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom uh, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. And you may read that and say, well, that sounds like very poetic and very wonderful, but those are all loaded terms basically saying that 
if we are captive to sin, he now has good news that we can be set free. If we are oppressed by other people or oppressed by evil forces, he has good news that we can unleash that yoke of oppression through him. If we have blindness about our lives and our way of living and what we should do and uncertainty about our path, or if we literally have blindness, he says, I, I'm, I'm here to help you see on whatever level you need to see. And there are many of us in this room who came to a conclusion at some point on our journey where we said, I don't understand. I really don't understand. I don't understand God. I don't understand my life. I don't understand my purpose. I don't understand why I'm here. I understand how to relate to this person. I got questions. And where do I go? And Jesus says, you don't have to go any farther than me. I have a very unique way of being present in the middle of your questions. But you know, that's always been God's characteristic. If you've ever read the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with me? You are. You are with me. I'm getting ready to push the pause button on Luke for a little bit, and we're going to be doing a series on Daniel on September 11th uh, for, for six weeks. And in that series, there is the story about three guys that are thrown into the fiery furnace. And maybe you say, well, that's an interesting story, but it's told for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because you and I go through fiery furnaces. And if we're not in a fiery furnace, we're coming out of one or we'll be going into one. But what's so interesting about that story as well is that there's a fourth person in that fiery furnace just waiting for him. Not saying, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so you don't have to go through this. He's saying, no, we're going to go through this together. I don't know what your dark valley is, your fiery furnace, or that thing that you have a big question about. But I can assure you, God's already there, and he's waiting. And his goal is to walk you through it if you trust him. And if you ask him, and I know many of you pastorally enough that I, I know your fiery furnaces, I know your dark valleys, I don't know all of them, but I know some of them, I know enough to know that some of you have leaned into God whenever that's happened, and others of you have said, yeah, but not in this situation, I don't know how God can fix this. But Jesus has this kind of authority that says, people say I can't. But I tell you, I will. It's that powerful. It is the kind of authority that does that thing when the 911 is pressed on your phone that says, I'm here. I'm here. Only, you know, no, no, I don't know when our button was pressed. Maybe it was pressed yesterday and they finally showed up. Don't know. Now, I give our police officers a lot more credit than that and actually want to be respectful and we need to pray for them. But that said, 
when God says, I hear your 911, I'm here right now. Matter of fact, I've never gone anywhere. Where it's broken down is, you haven't bothered to look for me. Or maybe you've been too distracted. Or maybe you've been willful like these guys. They're like, we have one concern. We have obtained a position in society that has given us authority and prestige and power by virtue of the people that we know, by virtue of the fact that we are working in Jerusalem, running the temple, which is over everything, by virtue of the fact that we are not only well-connected or we have that, we've got the schooling. So we have all the things that make it possible for us to be in control. And maybe you've done your own version of that. But I can assure you, when Jesus shows up, he'll tell us, if we're desperate and we need a Savior, I've got the authority to help you. Or at other times, he will tell us, you're going the wrong way. You need to make a course correction. Because the way you're going is more reflective of the voices that, are, that you're hearing of the people rather than the voices that you're hearing through my word and from me. So there's a couple more questions as we, as we round it out here. You know, that word authority is interesting because if you kind of take it apart, it's got our English word author. And the fact is, when we read the scripture, we find that it is very storied. There's a beginning and there's an end. And there's a lot in between, of course, and a lot we don't understand yet, but there is this sense that it is going somewhere. And along the way through history, there have been these on-ramps where people have said, I'm with him, I'm going that way with them. And then all of a sudden, you got a guy that is prone to just blowing up all the time and being angry and being frustrated and not in control of their temper to just being the sweetest soul ever, and I've seen it. Or you have a person who's got bitterness in their heart that is so intense that everything that they do is just projecting the negativity of that bitterness. To somebody that God said, I'm going in there, the 911's going off, and you need to find joy. You need to find a reason to forgive or to let go or to find hope. And all those things can drive our story because it's that energy inside of us that says, I'm upset about this or I'm broken because of that or I have this going on. And Jesus said, wait a minute. Let's do this together. Let's do this And let's make the story go where it should have gone in the first place. Who's writing your story? We've just went through a pretty crazy story. If you Historians are going to look back to 2020 and 2021. They're going to say, that was a weird moment for those guys. It really blew up. And a lot of people just follow the script of whatever that story was based on what everybody said. We just baptized the floor up here. That's what happened. So it's a sacred space now. I'm speaking in the authority of the Lord here. Um, 
whatever the culture is saying, whatever the news is saying, whatever we are hearing out there, well, that's the way my life is going to be, I guess. That's the thing that's going to direct our future. That's the thing that, well, opportunities are gone or never be the same. Now, the thing I like about Jesus' authority is that he respects your authority. He respects your right to consent to whatever you want to do. By design, we've been given that. But in those places where he says, you don't have control over those things, he promises us that he does, that he is sovereign over all of that. He's writing the story. He's letting people and evil do what people and evil will do, but he has given us, the church, something that the world cannot offer. It's not from this world. It is the kingdom of God, and I just like to look at it in a lot of different ways, and one of them is like a bubble where we know a peace that passes all understanding despite what the people say. Is a bubble that says we know the care of God despite what the world can or can't offer. It is a bubble that says there are angels stationed over us that will watch over us and care for us. It is a bubble that says, yeah, things will happen in your world, but I'm in there with you, and you can overcome. It's not an insulated bubble. Rather, it is just a space where God shows up and demons shudder where things assault us, and the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I have the authority to do that. And as you write your story along those lines with him right there with you in his kingdom space, his whole goal isn't for us to enjoy it and other people to suffer. His whole goal is that everybody that has the eye, has, has the 911 capacity, and everybody does, can join you. Did you know that's why the temple was there to begin with? It was there for the nations. And yet the people that he is having this conversation with have rewritten all the rules to such a way that it wasn't serving that purpose. And Jesus wasn't having it because there is an override that is happening in this world at this time when Jesus is setting foot in the temple and it is God's story at work saying no matter what the temple establishment has created I'm taking over my kingdom is taking over but the thing is the kingdom just keeps going and it's going into this space as we gather and it is saying, is this a safe space for people to be drawn to Jesus? Am I a safe space for people to be drawn to Jesus? So here's the last question. And that is, or there's actually two. Who has the right to your story? Two-part question. Who has the right to your story? Because according to Jesus, Satan is a Lord of this world, until further notice, and a cross and empty tomb declares that authority has been disarmed. 
But the good liar that he is, he wants to convince you that it hasn't been and that he's still in charge. And if he is, your story will end with him, wherever that leads. But if you trust his authority over heaven and earth, which is what he said, his words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me at the end. Therefore, you take that authority into the world and share the good news. And maybe God is calling you into that space where you've listened to those other voices for far too long and he's telling you, I have a new story for you and I want you to live it out with me. It will change everything. And it'll bring into your life the things that you've been looking for in so many other places and not finding. And this story not only ends well, and not only ends more better, this story ends the way it's supposed to end. Us right with God and right with each other. Because Jesus of all the people is the only one who can make that happen. Have you surrendered your life to him so that that can happen in your world? And that's a question you have to ask not just one time, but every time we gather and every, every day. And one of the best places to do that is where we're going to pivot to right now. And that is at the table that he's created for us. It is a, it is a covenantal table that says we are in agreement here in a binding way. And it is a way of not only celebrating the fact that we are now his and he is ours, but it is a way of looking at our lives and saying, Lord, in what part of my life am I not giving you authority? And if there is a part, help me to move into that space where I can surrender. Let's meet him at his table as we take the elements and we take them together and we remember him. kind of hard to meditate when you're trying to undo these, isn't it? But I think we got it. All right, so our Lord, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. A broken body on a blessing cross that's represented by the blood through the, the wine that we take. And it's just his way of establishing his authority in our lives sealing our lives with God forever and then moving us forward in that hope and calling that he's given us in the story we have with him. Let's take together and then we'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our world. And challenging us as you have, and as you continue to do so. 
until that 911 call no longer is offered because of that thing that is keeping us captive. Father, we thank you for the release and the setting free. We thank you for the giving of sight to our blindness. We thank you for proclaiming the good news through your son that we can gather in this special place and receive these very special things around a very special savior who is the only one capable of making things happen in our lives that um, the world simply cannot. And so we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you'll continue to do through our people and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we conclude our gathering, um, we do want to invite you to our back-to-school bash tonight and hope that if you, if you can make it, you can just support our people, talk to our kids, just get to know people, and to get to know Amy if you haven't really got a chance to meet her. Um, very lovely person, very easy to talk to. Um, so um, it's just a great opportunity. Um, so would you stand, and um, we'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would go with us, that you would bless us and keep us, and walk with us through the fiery furnaces, through the dark valleys, through the places of challenge, the places where the good news is going to work in our lives and through our lives. So, Lord, just commission us to go and do those things that reflect your authority in our lives, and may you be seen in us as a church uh, in this season. Thank you for the blessings of the day of one another, but especially the blessing of your son. And all God's people said together, amen. All right.